Martin Luther King Jr. says, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And out of that idea, the civil rights movement was born. Karl Marx had the idea that workers would would share equally in the profits of their labors rather than working for the capitalists of the production line. And out of that idea, communism was born. Adolf Hitler believed in the superiority of the Aryan race and, and an extreme form of German nationalism. And out of that, Nazism was born. Ideas have consequences, don't they? It's that kind of theme to which Paul points us here in Romans chapter 12, read read for us a moment ago, but we'll read it again, the idea and the reminder that ideas have consequences. What you believe to be true will affect how you behave in life. What you believe determines your behavior. Let's look again at what Paul says, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This morning we're continuing our our survey, if you will, of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what that looks like in our lives. And today we discover that a disciple of Christ has a transformed mind. There, There is a difference in our thinking as a disciple of Christ. And by virtue of the fact that there is a difference in our thinking, there is a difference in our behavior as well. Just to remind you what we've discovered so far, the word disciple is is the common word used for Christian in the New Testament. In fact, the word Christian itself is used only three times, whereas the word disciple is used 269 times in the Word of God to describe who we are, what we are, as followers of Jesus Christ. And that's what a disciple is. A disciple is a follower, a learner. A disciple is one who seeks to be like the one that they're following. A disciple of Jesus, we learned, listens to Jesus. A disciple learns from Jesus. A disciple obeys Jesus. And I'm convinced that if we were to take a disciple who is living according to the New Testament description of what a disciple would be, it would be so different from what we see today that we would look back and say of that, that is radical. What's going on with that person? This is a radical difference from what we see in the world. And yet, that would be a normal follower of Jesus Christ if we were to discover it in the pages of Scripture. 
It's just simply an ordinary disciple living his faith, living her faith in Jesus before a lost world. And yet to us, it would appear to be radically different. That's why we've titled this series that in itself, that we are radically different as disciples of Jesus Christ. Radically ordinary, according to the New Testament standard. There's a, there's a grand, there's a noble commitment to which we're called here in Paul's letters to the church at Rome. It's, it's a commitment that is indicative of the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Paul says, this is what a follower of Christ is urged to do. I want to just point out some things to you this morning as we look at these two verses together. First of all, we look at this commitment and notice the basis of the commitment that Paul gives to his readers. He opens these verses with this simple statement, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. I appeal to you by the mercies of God, in other words, with an understanding of what God has done, in light of what God has done, because of the mercies of God, this is what I want you to do. As is always the case, when God gives us a command, He couches that command in who He is and what He has already done. You must understand that. Because if we don't, we will take a verse like this and we will simply try to live out the command without understanding who God is and what He has done for us in Jesus. And we will just simply look again at moralism. We will look just simply at following rules rather than having a relationship with the one who gives us this command. And that is the case here. God gives this, this command, but He couches the command in who He is and what He has done. Here's how those, those grand ideas that accompany the mercies of God toward us should affect our behavior, should affect our actions. God's commands to us always presuppose God's provision for us. I wish that I had time this morning to preach all of the first 11 chapters of Romans. I don't have time to preach it. You don't have time to listen to it. But I wish I did. Because Paul comes along and he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. I appeal to you therefore, looking back at what I've already said, because of what I've already shared with you, on the basis of who God is, on the basis of what He has done in Jesus, I appeal to you to live this way. In those first 11 chapters, we read of God's mercy to this terribly fallen human race through the work of His Son, Jesus. We read in those 11 chapters how we are loved by God, how we are saved by God, how while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, how we have been redeemed by His blood, how we are unable to be separated from His love as His disciples, how we are regenerated through the work of Christ, and on and on and on it could go. We, we read there that radically sinful man was radically lost. But God provided a radical righteousness through the radical person of Jesus Christ who made a radical new life possible for us in Jesus. 
God has always been and will always be merciful to us. And because of that mercy, our lives and our behavior should be changed and affected. Friends, listen, the greater our comprehension of what God has done for us, the greater our commitment should be to Him. The more you understand of God and His love, the more you are enamored with His love for us, the more it affects your commitment to Him. So many of us today simply do not live for Him because we fail to focus on what He has done for us. We fail to remember what He has provided in Jesus. We fail to remember the forgiveness, the hope, the glory that is ours because of His mercy towards us. It's why Isaac Watts made the the profound statement in the hymn, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all demands it. That's the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. As the author of Hebrews reminds us, we need to look to Jesus who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. Keep your eyes firmly fixed upon Jesus Christ and His mercies towards us. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. The basis of the commitment It's the marvelous, merciful work of God through our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you forget that and you simply grab hold of the commands of the commitment, it's futile. It's legalism. It's draining. Demoralizing. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. That's the basis of the commitment. And then Paul continues with the character of the commitment as well. What are we called to do? Based upon what God has done, what are we called to do? I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, here it is, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The commitment to which we are called as a result of the work and the mercies of God, it is a total commitment. Paul uses the word here to present your bodies. It's it's a ritual presentation of sacrifice. It would be like the presentation of the animal for the sacrifice in the Old Testament. You would come and bring an animal before the priest and there would be a presentation of that animal. Ritual sacrifice. He says to present what? To present one day of your week? No. To present a portion of your income? No. To present a a section of your time? No. To present your bodies. That's everything that we are. Our totality. Everything that we are is presented to Him because of what He has done. It's described as being a living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, an acceptable sacrifice. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice was killed. So in a sense, there is a death that takes place when we present ourselves to Christ. That's why the demands of discipleship are so high 
when Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. There is a death that takes place. But we are not a dead sacrifice. We are a living sacrifice. Living for him. The question has been used, but it is a question worth asking. Christ died for you. Are you living for him? As a disciple, we've been given new life in Jesus. Are you living in that new life? Or do you live in the old life that's characterized by the sinful nature rather than the new man that Christ has made of us through His blood? We're told that this is a holy sacrifice. Which means that there is a renunciation of sin in the life set apart to God. Do we live in that? Or do we instead enjoy, entertain ourselves, embrace the very things for which Jesus died? Friends, this is as bold a call to commitment as you will find anywhere, and it applies to all of us. It applies to everyone. It's for us as disciples of Christ. It's for us as the church. The truth of the matter is that we are all disciples called to be totally committed to Christ if we belong to Him. It's a total commitment. It's a logical commitment. We read the last part of that verse there, verse 1, which is your spiritual worship. The the word there is the word logikos. It's the word where we get our word logical. It's your reasonable service. It's translated in your King James, I believe. It's your reasonable service. It's your logical service. In other words, Paul is saying here to us that it is just simply reasonable. If we go back and look at what Christ has done for us, it simply makes sense. It is simply logical. It is consistent with the proper understanding of what God has done in Jesus on our behalf that we would live this radical kind of life for Him. When you think about it, total commitment to Christ is the only rational course to take when you really see who God is. Halfway commitment is irrational. Halfway commitment is illogical. Halfway commitment is nonsensical. It is impossible for us as a disciple of Christ to say, everything is yours, Lord, except you fill in the blank with whatever you've got. We cannot say that. Not as a disciple of Christ. The basis of the commitment is wrapped up in the mercies of God. The character of the commitment, it's total, it's logical. But look at the demands of the commitment as well in verse 2. There are two commands that are given. The first one is negative. Do not be conformed to this world. The second one is positive. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do not conform. Do not Be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
The word world there is, is, is a word that means the age, the age in which we live. It's referring to the passing age in which we live that is dominated by Satan. Don't be conformed to the schemes of this passing evil age in which you live. Be different than that. J.B. Phillips in his translation put it so beautifully. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Does this describe us? Does this describe you? Why why is it that, that we don't see a difference in behavior and beliefs when we look at the church and the world today? Now listen, I'm not talking, lest you make the mistake of thinking, I'm not talking about hairdos and long skirts and not wearing makeup. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the pattern of thinking and that for which you live. In the church, we live for the American dream as much as those outside the church. Don't we? We live with the same standards. We live with the same behavior. What Paul is talking about here is about holiness of life, about living differently from this world for the sake of Christ, talking about being radical in our life for Jesus. When will we cease being afraid of being different from this world? It's the negative command. Do not be conformed to this world, but positively be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed. It's the word from which we get the, the word metamorphosis, the change that takes place from one form to another, a, a tadpole to a frog, a caterpillar to a butterfly. The very same word that was used of the transfiguration of Jesus when the Lord's glorious inner essence was allowed to show through His body so that His face radiated like the sun and His clothing was white with light and the disciples that were there were awestruck at the change. Don't be conformed. Instead, be transformed. How does that happen? Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By the renewal of your mind. Grab hold of this this morning. The battle in which we live in the Christian life is right here. By the renewal of your mind. What do you think about? What do you meditate on? What consumes your thoughts? If if I could this morning, I'd I'd like to give just a brief grammar lesson. I'm glad school's started back, so it won't be groaned too terribly much. But I'd like to give you a grammar lesson this morning, that, that phrase there, to be transformed. It is what we refer to as a 
present passive imperative verb. Present passive imperative. Imperative, it means command, obligation. Be transformed. Paul commands us to do that. It's present tense, which involves a process, a lifelong transformation. To really get the understanding and the gist of it, we could say, be always being transformed by the renewal of your mind. Always living in this moment of transformation by the renewal of our mind but it's a passive verb. There are active verbs and there are passive verbs. An active verb means you're doing something. A passive verb means something is being done to you. This is a passive verb. It must be done by someone else. You cannot do this on your own. It is something which must be done by the Spirit of God within our lives as followers of Christ. We are to live in submission to the Spirit of God who brings about this renewal in our minds as we are not being conformed to this world. Relying upon the Spirit of God, we are being transformed by the renewal of your mind. Of your mind. Can can you stop for a moment and just go through your day Be reminded of what you think about. What do you think about? What do you put into your mind? What do you read? What do you watch? What do you listen to? Are these things that will aid in the renewal of your mind? Or are they things that conform you to this world in which we live? A disciple of Jesus is changed continually so that his life conforms more and more and more to that of Jesus. So we say no to being conformed. We say yes to the transforming work of the Spirit of God in our lives. That's the demands of the commitment. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do not remove your mind because it is out of your mind that everything else will flow. Once we get to our hands, once we get to our mouth, the battle's already over. We've already lost because our mind are not being renewed. And then finally, we see the effect of this commitment. The basis of the commitment, we do this because of the mercies of God. The character of the commitment, it is total. It is reasonable. It makes sense. The demands of the commitment negatively don't be conformed. Positively, instead, be transformed. What is the effect of all of this? That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. Have you ever in your life before paused to say, I wonder what the will of God 
for my life is. Paul tells us here, if we will not be conformed to this world, but we will be transformed by the renewal of our mind, we'll be able to discern what it is that God wants. What is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. You see, the one living in this kind of commitment to God sees life with sure eyes. Alexander McLaren said, to know beyond doubt what I ought to do and knowing to do it seems to me to be heaven on earth. And the man that has it needs but little more. I wonder today, is your mind being transformed? Are you living according to the pattern of this world and the things of this world, the desires of this world, or are you being transformed by the renewal of your mind? What's characteristic of your life? What's characteristic of the life of our church? The demands are high. The call of commitment to Christ is it's magnanimous. It's huge. And the disciple of Christ cannot shrink away from what is placed upon us. Is your mind conformed? to the thinking of this world, what I look like, what I say, how I spend my money, where I go, what I do. Is our mind transformed by the renewal of our mind, by the work of the Holy Spirit within us, so that the Word of God directs us all of these things that we that we want the direction of the world. Are you transformed? Or are you conformed? Which would describe you today? Are you today a disciple of Jesus? Or are you not? A disciple of Jesus is given the command based upon the mercies of God because of what God has done on our behalf. Do not be like this world, but be transformed into something that is radically ordinary for the cause of Christ. Pray with me, please, this morning. Father, This day we, we come before you recognizing just how incapable we are of doing what you call us to do without your help, without your strength, without your work within us. Father, we've been reminded of the demands that you place upon our lives as followers of Christ. Father, I pray for all of us today that we would not take lightly those demands, 
that we would not take lightly that commitment, but that instead we would embrace your mercies and be transformed by your grace. Renew our minds through the work of your Spirit and your Scriptures to us, Father, that we might more and more look like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. This morning, we come to a time where we together celebrate the Lord's Supper with one another. It's a meal reminding us of our communion to Christ. It's it's a meal reminding us of our communion and our union with one another. It's a family meal, in essence. It's a meal by which we look at the completed work of Christ on our behalf, And it's a meal by which we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ and how we are brought into a new relationship. A relationship closer than any other relationships. It's eternal. It's purchased by Christ through His blood. And so today I will invite you to to examine your own heart. To examine, first of all, to see whether or not truly you are in the faith. Are you a follower of Christ? If you are not a follower of Christ at this moment, we simply ask that that you observe this meal and that you see the sacrifice that Christ has made for you, the wafers that represent the body of Jesus the drink that represents the blood of Jesus given for us. And if you're not a believer today, if you're not a disciple, not a follower of Christ, I would ask you to search your own heart and ask why. It only makes sense, as Paul reminds us. It's only logical in light of what God has done that we follow Jesus. Nothing else makes sense. And so if today you're not a believer, we invite you to observe, to watch, as God's people take part together in this meal with one another. I'll invite our deacons to come this morning. As I mentioned to you, we have... Two elements, the bread that represents the body of Christ, representing the sacrifice that He has made on our behalf. We internalize this this morning, showing I agree, I believe, I unite myself with this. Would you pray with me, please, this morning? Father, this morning we are reminded 
of the body of Jesus Christ, that this, that this was a real event. That God in the flesh bore the wrath of God so that we might not have to. That He was crucified. That He died. That He was buried. So that our sins might be atoned for. Father, in this moment, I pray, please, would you make this real in our hearts and lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.